fantasy readers, this is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today's story was a learning experience for me. It sucked me in, and I got through the whole thing thinking, yes, this will be a great one for the podcast. But then I paused and said, wait, where's the magic? Can a story even be fantasy without magic? And yes, it can. It's called low fantasy, and I never thought I'd enjoy it because, well, every story should have magic. But Street Fox is evidence that I was wrong. It takes place in an alternate world and is a prequel to C.J. Brightley's series, Erdemann Honor. C.J. lives in Virginia with her husband and young kids, but somehow she also finds time to make jewelry, teach karate, and bake. I was fascinated to learn that she's just shy of five feet tall, which means we'd look really awkward together in a picture, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. She also claims she would eat bugs over bananas, and I'm curious to know if she would eat any bug over a banana or where exactly she draws the line. I'm not a fan of bananas either, but I will eat them over bugs. Today's narrator is Peter Franson, host of Christian Geek Central. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from both the author and the narrator, as well as how to enter our giveaway. For now, please enjoy Street Fox by C.J. Brightly. When I was a child, I believed the stories of the great heroes, Cardu, whose exploits live on in the great Cardu's song, Tarmo Hiraku, who united the Tuyet tribes against the Tarvil, from the Third Age, which is dying now, Kemen Sendoa, who saved the king Haken Ithel and shaped him into the greatest king Erdem ever knew. By the time I reached the age of nine, I knew that such stories were only stories, told to small children to drive the dark away. Children need to believe in heroes. It gives them hope. But in my world, hope was precious and rare. It was autumn, a time that should have been rich in the harvest, but my family had long been at the edge of despair. When my mother followed my father into death, I lost the last of my hope. My name was Dervo Wa, Wa being my father's name, and me being the only son to carry it. When I lost my parents, my name became Dog, or Filthy Brat or street fox, or rat, or thief. No one knew my name, and no one cared. I own to the theft. I've never lied, and I won't start now. I stole because I was hungry. My head grew light. My ribs became like frail sticks poking through my skin. My knees, like those of a fresh-born colt, knobby and trembling. I stole from the fields as I walked to Perketa, raw wheat that sat hard and heavy in my shrunken stomach, and I stole from the market once I reached the city. Perketa is a fishing city, a great and bustling city of a thousand smells. Fresh fish, rotting fish entrails, sweat and blood, and a thousand kinds of roasting food. I stole food when I could, and I stole a sharp little knife from a fisherman's stall. That very night, it saved my life. I was edging closer to the rubbish behind a boarding hall, hoping for a bit of bread or even meat, if I was lucky, when the door burst open with a sudden splash of yellow light. 
in the darkness after the door closed, a man, drunken and vicious, grabbed me by my hair and demanded my money. I didn't have any, of course, and I shook my head. He slapped me across the face with the back of his other hand, a sudden explosion of sparkles in my head and a smashing pain. I slashed his arm, wild and terrified. He screamed and shoved me away, and I bolted, fleeing like a scared mouse. I pelted through the shadows, tears streaming down my face. I was a hard little child, angry, mostly able to take care of myself, but I was also barely ten by then, and it hadn't been too long since I'd had a family and a safe home. I tripped over a curb and fell face first into water scummy with fish scales and blood. I scrambled up, filthy and sobbing, and stumbled a bit further, only to retch suddenly. I heard a man's voice, but I didn't really notice it until I felt a hand on my shoulders. I panicked, jerking away and slashing crazily. He grabbed my wrist, forced the knife from my hand, and my hand up behind my back, so I gasped in sudden pain. He let up a little but kept one strong hand on my left shoulder and my right arm twisted up behind me. Calm down, little street fox. I'm not going to hurt you. His voice wasn't soft, but neither was it the drunken rasp I'd heard earlier. This was someone else, but I couldn't see him. I craned my neck and suddenly thrashed in a panic. My heel hit his shin solidly. He grunted but didn't let go. What did he want? What was he going to do to me? I'd lost my knife, and he was strong. I was gasping in fear, but my tears were gone, my heart racing. He pulled me from the narrow alley into the moonlit street, then spun me around to face him, keeping one hand wrapped around my wrist and the other on my shoulder. I couldn't have fled. His grip wasn't rough, but it was unbreakable. I caught my breath in sudden terror. I could barely see his face, dark-skinned and hard in the dim light. He was a Dari, and his eyes looked almost black in the darkness. He had blood on the sleeve of his white shirt, the edges of the cut fabric glistening damply. He looked me over, and I wished I wasn't trembling so badly. Never show your fear. I'd learned that lesson early. Fear means you're weak, and weak means you're vulnerable, a good target. Do you have a name, Street Fox? I shook my head. Hmm. Most people do. Mine's Geiska. Are you hungry? Against my will, I nodded, then wished I hadn't. Hunger is a weakness. My heart felt like a trapped bird against my ribs. I used my free hand to wipe my nose and sniffled. Come on, then. I need a bandage, and you need some food. He studied me seriously for a minute, then stood. He didn't let go of my wrist as he walked with quick strides through the dark streets, and I stumbled after him. It was a long walk with many turns and twists up streets I had never seen, and I was completely lost when we reached a door in a wall. The tall Dari produced a key and unlocked it, then shut it behind us. Then a short walk across a space that felt fresh and cool, filled with the soft rustle of plants, and we reached another door. That one he opened without a key, and there was a burst of light. The floor was marble, the walls were covered in tapestries, and everything seemed to glow with warmth and easy hospitality. The Dari still had not let go of my wrist, and he called out, Erunia, we have a guest! 
We walked through a short hallway, then a longer one, and I kept stumbling, partly because I was weak and clumsy with hunger, and partly because I kept straining my neck to see more. The house was beautiful. At last, we reached a kitchen, warm and smelling of fresh bread and all kinds of delicious things. My mouth watered. The Dari pulled a chair out from the table and sat me down, still without letting go of my wrist. Then he knelt in front of me, and in the light of a dozen lamps I finally saw him more clearly. He had a stern face, but it was hardly unkind, certainly not cruel. I tried to still my trembling. Sit here and don't move. I'm going to get you some dinner and you're going to eat it. Do you understand? I nodded hurriedly. He let my wrist go at last, keeping his eyes on me for a minute. Then he stood and moved away toward the fire. I looked all around the kitchen, and I thought it must belong to a very small palace. Keeping my eyes on Geiska's back, I slowly climbed onto my chair and strained to reach the strings of vegetables crossing the ceiling. I couldn't quite reach the lowest string of drying green peppers, and I carefully, quietly put one dirty bare foot on the table and started to shift my weight. Geiska spoke without turning around. Those are hot peppers. You won't like them. This will be warm in a minute if you can wait that long. I cursed quietly. He was right. In a minute he put a plate of steaming pie in front of me, all meat and thick sauce and vegetables. My eyes barely had time to widen before I was wolfing it down, blinking back tears from burning my mouth but not slowing. He watched me, and I glanced at him once or twice, but I was too busy eating to pay much attention. The door opened behind me, and that got my attention. I startled like a frightened rabbit. A woman entered, a beautiful Tuyet woman, and she smiled at Geiska. Erunia, he smiled back, and she crossed to him and kissed him. He nodded toward me. We have a guest. Then to me. Would you like some fruit now? I nodded cautiously. Then the woman spoke in sudden alarm. What happened? She touched his arm, and he turned a bit so she could see it better. Street Fox has a bite. She bit her lip and glanced at me. Geiska spoke quietly. It's not bad. Would you finish the fruit for him? She nodded, and her fingers trailed down his broad shoulder to his elbow, and she kissed him again. He bent to whisper something in her ear that I didn't hear, but she nodded again. My arms and legs felt heavy with the rich food, exhaustion suddenly rising in the warm comfort of the kitchen. I tried to remain alert, tried to maintain my guard, but I was already blinking away sleep. Erunia put a plate of fruit in front of me, moon fruit and plums and sweet raspberries. I was very full, but I was a child of the street then, a street fox, and a street fox never leaves good food uneaten. So I kept eating and watching, my eyes growing heavy and my alert tension fading despite my best efforts. Geiska sat at the end of the table with a steaming bowl of water and some thick towels. He pulled his shirt over his head, and I realized with a jolt that he was even bigger and more formidable than I'd realized. He might have killed me without effort. Though it should have reassured me that he hadn't done so, instead it gave me a burst of nervous fear that kept me awake for a few more minutes. Arunia pulled another chair closer and carefully inspected the wound. I stared at it too. I felt a little sick, not because I'd never seen blood before, but because only then did I feel the first pang of guilt. 
The cut wasn't especially deep, but it was on the inside of his upper arm, close to the blood vessels. If the knife point had nicked one of those, I might have killed him. It was long, angled across the great muscle. He did not look at me as Erunia washed it carefully, but she did, one short glance that carried a weight of remonstration and gentle bafflement. Are you full yet, or would you like some more? Geiska spoke quietly. I wanted more. The taste was delicious, and it had been weeks since I'd tasted anything warm, but already I doubted I could walk. I'm full. Then, because I felt like I ought to say something more, I added awkwardly, Thank you. Geiska smiled suddenly, flashing white teeth in his dark face. You're welcome, little nameless street fox. If you want a safe bed for the night, you may sleep here, but there are conditions. My heart slammed to a stop, and I blinked back sudden tears. Of course, of course it would be too good to be true. I'd almost dared hope. Hope what? That I'd be able to relax for the first time since my parents had died? That I might not wake in terror a dozen times a night because I heard something? I was trembling, cold, despite the warm comfort in my belly. He spoke again, his voice even and soothing. The conditions are not difficult. No knives, no weapons, no violence. You'll have no need to defend yourself. No one will hurt you. I will warn you, if you threaten or harm my wife or my son, I'll kill you myself. But if you keep the peace, you have nothing to fear. No stealing. You will have plenty of food. Do you understand? He looked across the table at me. I swallowed hard, not sure whether I should feel relieved or terrified. Do you understand? He repeated. I shook my head. No, I didn't understand. Everyone wants something. What did he want? What did he stand to gain? When I understood that, I could begin to understand how to keep myself safe. You are a guest. I expect you to behave like one. Do you know how a guest behaves? He was smiling slightly. Erunia finished tying the bandage around his arm. I shook my head again. A guest causes no trouble. He is pleasant to be around and polite. He doesn't steal things, and he doesn't harm his hosts. Can you manage that? He waited while I nodded cautiously. In return, his hosts provide him with everything he needs. Food, comfort, a bed, a bath. Doesn't that sound like a good bargain? I nodded again, if there was no trick to it. Good, then we have an agreement, he smiled again. Geiska showed me to a room with a great stone basin and said it was for bathing. You smell like the street. Take a bath, you'll feel better. Besides, Erunia would appreciate not having those sheets ruined. He heated water for me, and we waited by the fire in a long silence. I half-dozed once, and woke to see him staring at me thoughtfully. I glared at him half-heartedly, and he only smiled. He gave me a bar of fresh-smelling soap, and waited for me to bathe, sitting in a chair off to the side with his eyes closed and his arms folded across his broad chest. I think he slept, or almost slept. I certainly came close to it, relaxing in the steaming water. When I finished, he wrapped a thick, soft robe around my shoulders and guided me to a room. There was a bed piled with fluffy pillows and thick blankets. There's water to wash with in that pitcher when you wake up. These are my son's clothes, but I think they'll fit you. 
Come down to the kitchen for some breakfast in the morning. I nodded, so sleepy and so confused by everything that I couldn't find any words. Then he was gone, the door closing softly behind me. What is that? I was breathless with awe. The sword hung on the wall was brilliantly polished and perfect. Da's sword! Metten was younger than I was, but he was tall like his father, his skin lighter than his father's, but still darker than mine. I'd met him that morning in the kitchen, and we stared at each other over plates of eggs and bacon and fruit until Metten finally asked, Who are you? I shrugged awkwardly. I didn't want to say my name. It felt like the one thing I owned, the one remembrance of my parents. Metten continued, My dog got it from his father, and he got it from his father, and him from his father, and before that, his father, and you know who he was? Who? Kemen Sendoa. I snorted in derision. Sendoa is a fairy tale. I can't believe you think he was real. Metten stood up straighter in righteous indignation. He is not. How do you think the King Haken Ithel the Wise and Merciful took his throne back then, if not by Kemen Sendoa's hand? I don't know. I turned away. I did know that heroes didn't exist. Stupid little Metten living in his perfect fairy tale world, could believe in fairy tales all he wanted. But I knew the truth. The truth was dirty and frightening and hard. And people like me, street foxes, were on the bottom of that world. People who were strong and fast and hard and smart might rise to the top, but someday they would die. They might have a few more years than those they killed on the way to the top, but they would die too. Metten huffed behind me. You should talk to my da. He knows everything, and he'll tell you Sendoa's story, and you'll believe him. You have to believe my da. He never lies. Metten was younger than I'd realized. I'd thought he was maybe nine, a year younger than I was, because he was so tall. But when I asked, he said he'd just turned eight, and so I shrugged off his stupid faith in his father as the faith of a child. At ten, I surely wasn't a man but I was hardly the innocent child he was, and I was not about to believe in such silly tales. Metten, don't bother the street fox. If he doesn't want to believe it, he doesn't have to. Geiska's voice cut through my thoughts, and Metten apologized quietly. But Da, you should tell him what it says. Hush, Metten. Geiska ruffled his hair. It's almost time for practice. Metten nodded. What who says? The sword. Geiska nodded Metten off, and he ran away smiling, almost skipping. What does it say? I was curious. You can't read it? I shook my head. Soldiers learn to read, and people in the cities, merchants, but not farm folk like my family. He smiled a little. It's in the high tongue on one side, and Kumar on the other. It says, May Kemen Sendoa forever be remembered for his nobility. And may I be worthy of his trust and friendship. May we serve long together. To Kemen Sendoa, on the eve of my coronation, the 16th of Runsasti, 3rd age, year 369. With deep affection, from Haken Ithel. I stared at the sword. Is it real? Of course it's real. If you're asking whether the inscription is original, I believe so. But you're welcome to think what you want. He reached up to the sword and took it down, holding it out for me to see. Careful, the edge is still sharp. The sword was beautiful. 
like everything else in the house. I knew nothing about weapons, but even I knew it was a work of true artistry. It fascinated me, and I ran one tentative finger over the etched letters. I felt lost in the glow of the metal. What would it be like to meet a hero like Sendoa? He'd probably spit on me. I was a dirty street fox, scared, hungry, and hopeless. I blinked back sudden tears, my lip trembling. What's wrong? Geiska sounded startled as I sniffled. I shook my head wordlessly, and when I felt his hand on my shoulder, I twisted away and ran. I fled through the hallways and up the stairs, expecting any minute to hear his steps behind me. I ran to my room, the room they had given me, and I wedged the one chair against the door. I was shaking, so upset I felt sick, but I couldn't have told anyone why, even at the time. I sat huddled in the corner with my knees pulled up to my chest, gasping for breath and wiping angrily at my eyes. It wasn't too long before I heard a soft knock on the door. It's Arunia. I have some lunch for you if you want it. I held my breath. There was a long silence, then her voice again. I'm leaving it on the floor. I waited a long time before finally moving the chair and opening the door cautiously. The food was cold, but it still tasted good, and there was a large glass of milk and one of watered wine beside it. I pulled the plates inside and carefully wedged the chair back in front of the door before I let myself eat. I waited all afternoon, but no one broke down the door or yelled through it that I was no longer welcome. Dinner was similarly left outside after a few quiet words through the door. I cried into my food. I cried that night into my pillow. I cried so hard I vomited into the waste bucket in the corner, glad that I hadn't used it yet. My scrawny little body, more than half-starved, reacted to the food and the unexpected kindness with violent rebellion. I spent the night trembling and wiping my eyes, dizzy with emotion I couldn't identify. When I finally made my way down to the kitchen the next day, I felt much better. I'd washed my face and tried to keep my shoulders back and my head high, as if I wasn't afraid or ashamed. There was a mirror in the hallway, and I looked in it before I went down the stairs. I hadn't seen myself in a mirror often, and it was odd. I had a pinched little face, sickly pale, with spots of red high on each cheek like they were painted on as an afterthought to give me a bit of much-needed color. My hair was straggled and too long, but at least it was clean. Metten's clothes more or less fit me, though he was younger, and the open neck of the shirt showed my skinny chest, ribbed like a washboard and bruised from a fight earlier that week. A fight over a piece of bread. I'd lost that fight to a girl almost twice my size with a fast punch and a solid knee to my stomach. I took a deep breath before I entered the kitchen, but no one was there. There was a plate on the table with a thick slice of bread, a wedge of cheese, and a pile of vegetables on it. I wondered if it was for me. I was hungry, but not as ravenous as I had been. Two days of rich food had done more good than I realized. Two days earlier, I wouldn't have cared if the food was meant for me, but after their kindness, I would rather ask them than steal it. I found Geiska in the courtyard with Metten and Arunia watching them as she hung clothes to dry. Metten was doing a set of flips that made my jaw drop in amazement. Geiska frowned. You're still turning your hands in, Metten. Keep them out. Yes, da, Metten bowed slightly. Hello, Fox. He waved and smiled. I flushed.
Street Fox isn't his name, Metten. Geiska frowned again, and I flinched. He looked terrifying when he frowned. Sorry, I just meant... His father nodded. Do the Ijrakano sequence again. Work on your breathing. Yes, da. Geiska patted him on his shoulder, and Metten straightened, looking off into the distance for a minute, then dropping into a crouch. He jumped and rolled, punched, then flew into a series of kicks. Geiska watched him for a minute, then turned to walk toward me. I couldn't help that I shrunk away, but I tried to smile. My mind was racing. What happens now? What will they do? I'll need to leave soon. They won't want me. Then I should thank them. Sir, I... I stopped, and my voice faded. Thank you. The words sounded inadequate, small. I bowed awkwardly, trying to imitate Metten's grace. Of course, I failed utterly, but Geiska smiled at my attempt. Are you going somewhere? I shrugged jerkily. He strode to his wife, kissed her on the cheek, and they smiled into each other's eyes. My parents had smiled like that long ago, and I barely blinked back tears. Geiska called over his shoulder. I could use a little help with the horses this afternoon. My breath caught in my throat. Was that an offer of work? I'd work for him. I'd work hard for a man like him. I did work for him, one day at a time. He'd say he needed help with something, and I'd earn one more day, one more night in a bed, three more healthy meals. I shoveled manure with energy that made him smile and clap his hand on my shoulder. Slow down, boy. There will be plenty tomorrow, too. I carried water for Arunia. I washed clothes, scrubbing with frowning intensity until she told me to slow down, that I didn't need to be so worried. I shook my head mutely. May I call you Kernaz? I don't know why, he asked. He could do anything he wanted. He was strong and powerful, and I would have done anything to be able to stay in his house, to eat his food, to soak in the warmth and kindness of his family. I was like a small plant after a long drought, shriveled and dried, and in the warm rain of spring I found new life in the safety of those walls. It means fox in Kumar, but not a street fox, a wild fox, proud, the kind that lives in the northern woods. Have you ever seen a fox? I'd seen their handiwork, slaughtered chickens, but foxes weren't common in our fields, so I shook my head. Maybe I'll take you some day. Metten wants to go hunting for his ninth birthday. If you're still here, then, you can come too. Are you sending me away? I tensed my stomach to keep my voice from shaking. No, you make your own choices. You're welcome to stay as long as you like. I stayed all winter. The streets grew icy and frigid, fraught with a thousand dangers. Every night I breathed a sigh of thanks that Geiska and his family had inexplicably taken me in. I ate every day, not a few times a week, and I slept with a fire in my room and blankets over me. Geiska worked for the king, and I learned he was more powerful than I'd imagined. He was the king's representative to the province, sent to stay for three years to oversee the provincial governor's work and to inspect and train the army officers. Sometimes he took Metten and me with him on his trips to the forts. That was more than exciting. Metten and I stared about with huge eyes, and I at least stayed close by my protector. 
We climbed up to the top of the wall around Fort Perketatulua, the installation that looked south over the Great Harbor. Its twin was Fort Perketajura on the south side, looking north back at us. The officers bowed to him courteously, and I tried not to shame him by seeming stupid. I followed Metten's lead, since he obviously had visited the forts before. When we returned to Geiska's house, Erunia was making nutcakes, and she pinched off a bite for each of us before she put them in the oven to bake. Geiska kissed her and took her wrist to eat from her hand, then brought her close for another kiss. She shrieked, and I jumped, and they were laughing, chasing each other around the kitchen, dodging around the table. Erunia fled giggling across the courtyard with Geiska close behind. I watched with my mouth hanging open, but Metten only shrugged and grinned. They do that sometimes. One night we walked through the darkening city. Metten was chattering happily about our great adventures at Fort Perketajura that day, but I was tired and irritable. In the darkest shadows, I felt it in a prickling in my neck. Danger. Sir? Hush, Kurnaz. Let's get on. Geiska put a hand on Metten's shoulder and one on mine. Tense. Alert. Someone hunted us. He could feel it too, even if Metten was too innocent to notice. My fear hammered in my ears, closed my throat, made my mouth dry. Da? Geiska pushed me forward roughly, and I stumbled to my knees. Metten shrieked, high and terrified, turning back toward his father. It was so dark I couldn't see anything, but I heard Geiska huff softly, and some other noises, thuds, a sharper grunt, a curse, an inarticulate cry, and heavy breathing. Then a terrifying silence. Geiska's voice came out of the darkness. He sounded different, as if he were holding his voice steady by conscious effort. Metten? Kurnaz? Are you hurt? No, duh. Metten sounded a little tearful. Where are you? No, sir. Metten, do you know where we are? Yes, da. Do you know where Commander Thalor's house is? East to Firilor Street and south two streets? Yes, da. You're sure you can find it? He sounded a bit more strained, and I could hear Metten moving toward him. Yes, da. Go get him, Metten. Tell him to come here and to bring his bag. He'll know what to do. Can you do that? Yes, da. Good boy. Now run. Metten brushed by me in the darkness, and I heard his pattering steps fade away. Kernaz? He was breathing heavily. Would you come here, please? I tripped over something and half fell into Geiska. He was kneeling on the ground, almost doubled over. He grunted a soft, pained sound that frightened me. Put out your hand. Feel my knife? He found my hand, then pressed the knife into my palm, wrapping my fingers around the hilt. His hand felt slippery and damp. Careful. Cut off some cloth, a long strip. You can use my sleeve here if you want. Good. Cut it off. He kept his voice calm and steady. Good boy. Now wrap it around my arm here, twice. Good. Pull it tighter, as tight as you can. Tighter. Now tie it. He shifted, slipped a little in the icy street and leaned against me, his head drooping for a moment. My hands were shaking so badly I could barely tie the knot, 
and my mind felt frozen. Now some more fabric. Cut something else. Geiska's voice seemed to slur a bit, and all of a sudden my words seemed to come tumbling out. No, sir, you can't die. Don't die. Stay here. Stay for Metten. Stay for your wife. Stay. Oh, please stay. Talk. You can talk with her. You have to see her again. I was crying. Steady, Kernes. Do as I say. In the faint moonlight, I could barely see him shifting again. I'm going to lie down. Where is the cloth? He found my hand in the darkness and pressed my hand with the wadded cloth to his chest. Hold it here. Lean into it. Harder. My whisper felt ragged. Does it hurt? Yes, it hurts, but you're helping. His words were slurring a bit more, but I heard the smile in his voice. Thank you, Kurnas. I'd rather you do this than Metten. He's too young. I was crying, the tears hot on my cheeks. Don't die. You can't die. You have to go home to your wife. You have a home and a family, and they love you. You can't leave them. He mumbled something that I didn't catch, and I cried harder, but I kept my hands on the cloth and my weight pressed down. I could feel him breathing, the rise and fall of his strong chest under my hands. My hand felt damp, a warmth soaking through the cloth. His breath caught for a minute, a long pause. Then it started again, not quite as steadily. Sir, please, you have to stay. His hand felt along my arm to my shoulder and squeezed firmly for a moment. My name is Dervo. There was a long silence, and I wondered in a panic if he died. Then I heard a soft chuckle. Thank you, Dervo. Torches. Sir, they're coming. They're almost here. He mumbled something else I didn't understand, then Metten. Metten ran to him, and in the sudden torchlight I saw everything. The cloth I still held to Geiska's chest was soaked in brilliant blood, his shirt sticking wetly to his side, a spreading stain nearly to his waist. The cloth around his arm wasn't so bad, but it was bloody too. There were three men sprawled around, the two closest face down. The one I had tripped over had his neck at an unnatural angle, and the other lay in a dark pool of blood, almost frozen around the edges already. Geiska's words came softly, almost a whisper. Don't look at them, Metten. Thank you for being brave. Metten was sobbing, and we were surrounded. There was cursing, and strong hands took the cloth from me, keeping it pressed to Geiska's chest. They got him on a sort of stretcher of cloth and poles, and Metten and I hurried alongside the men as they rushed him back to someone's house. Commander Thalor spoke to Geiska, and I was surprised that Geiska could answer him at all. I caught only bits of it. Lukosa's men, Thalor. That means Wasamaro. He stopped to catch his breath with a groan. Commander Thalor hushed him. It can wait, General said. It can't. Get word to the king. Tonight, he grunted at a sudden jolt. Tonight, Thalor. Yes, sir. At Commander Thalor's house, we waited for hours. He sent an escort to fetch Erunia, who arrived white-faced and breathless. She went in to see Geiska, who was by then unconscious, or nearly so, stretched on a bed while the healer tended to him. 
Metten was trembling and sniffling, and finally I moved over to sit next to him on the floor. Your da is a hero, Metten. Like Sandoa. Like Cardu. He'll live, you'll see. Metten shuddered, and then leaned into my tentative arm around his shoulders. He hiccuped. Da can't die. I don't want him to be a hero if it means he has to die. I want him here with us. Geiska did not die, at least not then, though he didn't get better as quickly as we wished. Metten and I were united in our wide-eyed concern, our eagerness to do whatever he asked. He took us hunting in the early spring. He was thinner, but his arm was strengthening and he no longer needed the sling. Metten had his own horse, and Geiska lent me a small, sedate little gelding. He said I rode like a farm boy, heavy and solid, which he thought was very funny since I wasn't heavy at all. He showed me how to sit lightly, how to put my weight forward on the horse's withers so he could run faster, and how to ask for more speed. When we returned, Erunia made us spiced cider, and we sat together in front of the fire, all four of us. Metten had his feet on the hearth and his head in his mother's lap, and Geiska had his good arm around Erunia. I sat a bit apart, just a hand's breadth, because they were a family and I was a guest. Geiska opened his arm, and I hesitated, but I took his invitation. I sat stiffly next to him, and he tightened his arm around my shoulders for a minute. Why did you invite me in? I whispered the question. It seemed almost disrespectful to ask for an explanation. Erunia was the one who answered. Because that's how he is. What I heard, though she didn't say it, was, and that's why I love him. Geiska chuckled. I didn't know you'd stay so long, but I'm glad you did. The king moved against Wasamaro immediately, but the real conflict did not come until spring. General Geiska Sendoa was gone for almost two months. Only later, when I read the history of it, did I understand what had happened and how Geiska's service to the king had saved our province from what might have turned into a very nasty war. Wasamaro tried to assassinate him because that day at the fort, Geiska had instinctively grasped what no one else had seen how Wasamaro's forces were slowly eroding the king's reach and blocking access to the critical roads. He was preparing for war, but he wasn't yet ready. Instead of a war, there was a brief, bloody skirmish in which Geiska fought like a hundred men and led a regiment of Kidani to an astonishing victory over twice as many of Wasamaro's men. When we next saw him, he was fresh from the triumph, with the emerald heart from the king for his trouble. He was tired, but his customary good humor was unchanged. But what I remember of him was how he smiled when I jumped the little gelding over a fence, how he fed me when I was so hungry I could barely think, how he kept his voice steady and calm that terrifying night. I gave him my name, and he gave me his. Metten was his heir, Metten Rejura Sendoa, but he named me also his son, adopted under the name Dervo Wa Sendoa. But sometimes he called me Kurnaz, and when he did, it always made me smile. I hope you enjoyed listening to Street Fox by C.J. Brightly, narrated by Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central. If you want to read more by C.J., go to cjbrightly.com to find more of her books. While you're there, you can sign up for her newsletter to get a free copy of today's story. 
Be sure to keep an eye out for her upcoming book, The Silent Prince, which is a gender-flipped retelling of The Little Mermaid and comes out November 28th. If you enjoyed listening to Pater narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central, where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. Don't forget about this month's giveaway, which includes a paperback copy of Heroes and Other Stories, which has Street Fox and two other short stories from the same world, all by C.J. Brightly. Go to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. If you enjoyed this story, please consider sharing it with a friend preferably a friend who would also enjoy this story. There are links in the show notes to make that as easy as possible for you, along with links to the giveaway and CJ Brightly's site. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. <laughs>